This is Overture, the Prelude Podcast. Welcome to the Prelude Podcast. My name is Christopher Willis, and I go by Xanthanus on Twitter and GitHub. And my name is Alex Manners. I go by Kyber Spache on Twitter and GitHub. Awesome. So this is our new uh, podcast that we're doing. It's called Overture. And I thought for first go around, we should do some introductions. Uh, so like I said, my name is Christopher Willis. Um, I uh, have been in the security space for roughly like 10 years or so. Um, I started at university at a CTF club called White Hatters and basically did a whole bunch of CTFs uh, and then did some organizing, did some uh, challenge creation um, and just did a whole bunch of CTFs for a long time. And then uh, when I got out of university, I ended up uh, doing some academia stuff and then went to DOD contracting, did some cool stuff there, uh, then went to National Lab. And now I'm here at Prelude. Uh, so um, doing some really cool stuff uh, that we'll talk about here in a few. But uh, Alex, you want to do some introduction? Sure. So hi again, I'm Alex Manners. I got my start in the Air Force actually doing offensive and defensive cyber warfare work along with some general IT comm type stuff. You know, can't get away from that in the Air Force. Also did the federal contracting work. Chris and I actually met at a prior job. Uh, that's how we know each other. From there, I went on to MITRE where I worked on the Caldera version two project. I was the R&D lead working alongside with David Hunt, who is Private Ducky on Twitter and also here at Prelude as our CTO. I uh, went to a AWS after that, so I have some cloud background and here I am at Prelude do the uh, security engineering work, just kind of jack of all trades. Yeah, so we're doing some really cool stuff here um, and uh, we wanted to talk about it. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast. Um, we feel like there's sort of this niche within the podcasting uh, space where we can talk about more technical uh, deep dives uh, that sometimes get overlooked or missed. Um, and so we think this podcast uh, would be good to do. Um, and then also to talk about the, our tools and uh, the new stuff uh, that, that comes out super quickly. Like we just went to 1.2 and 1.1 was just a few months ago. So uh, lots of cool uh, stuff that we're doing. We also want to, through this podcast, push out our core philosophy of transparency. So a lot of what we do is open source. A lot of what we do is free. And we want people to have insight into the way we think and why we approach problems the way we approach them. Um, and to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and give people an opportunity to learn about us and the way we approach our problems. Yeah, I think one of the, the awesome core philosophies that we have at Prelude is bringing down advanced tools to just everyone. Um, a lot of times, uh, whether in open source or even in closed source, uh, there's a lot of advanced tools out there that just are not available to people because either they're, they, they're cost prohibitive or um, they, um, they're basically locked behind whatever company just wants to keep it for themselves. We think that advanced tools should be available to everyone. Um, and I really like that philosophy that we have. So um, Alex, Let's, um, 
you know, we just came out with Operator 1.2, and you know, I think uh, we have quite a few features within 1.2. Um, what are some high-level features that you're really interested in? Yeah, so there are actually two that I wanted to talk about today. There's a lot more, and you can check the GitHub release notes if you are, are really interested. But I wanted to talk about one that's really readily apparent, and then another that's kind of behind the scenes that you would only really notice if you started poking and prodding our infrastructure. So the first one is we actually deprecated one of our plugins. If you're familiar with Operator, Operator is largely a framework, and we build plugins to extend the capability of that framework. One of the plugins that we actually deprecated this time around for 1.2 is the agent library. So prior to 1.2, we had a plugin that would allow you to see all of the available agents, some written in NIM, some written in Golang, Python, runs the gamut. Um, and with 1.2, one of the things that we were discussing in our team is what are actual core, core functions, core capabilities of the operator platform? Um, we wanna make sure that the plugins in and of themselves don't house too much core capability, but extend core capability. So agent library was one where we were kind of on the line of, is, is that a core capability of what the operator platform is? And with 1.2, we made that decision. So if you take a look at the latest version of operator, you'll notice that immediately once you log in and you get to the dashboard, you're gonna be presented with a small icon that looks like a, a person with some headphones on. And if you click on that, you'll get the list of available agents. So we have ported that into core capability for operator. Uh, from there, depending whether you're on a community license or our pro license, you'll see all of the available agents. Again, we have some written in Python, we have some written in NIM, some written in Golang. And one of the things we'll talk about later in the podcast is we actually added one that's written in uh, JavaScript, uh, JavaScript for automation specifically for Mac OS. I don't know how much you've played with the, the agent library, Chris, but uh, what are your thoughts on bringing that into the core of the product versus keeping that in the, the plugin section? Yeah, so I think it makes it super easy to be able to, to see what agents are available. So we've made that much easier within the UI. So if you go into like operator at the top, um, you can then go to like the top like left hand side and you can click on the operator win or the, the agent window that then basically gives you a whole bunch of uh, agents that we have available. Um, and it kind of gives you sort of a understanding of which which agents can do what. Um, and uh, I think that makes it super easy to use. Um, and I think um, we're going to be doing something right where uh, we'll be able to just actually pull the source from there, right? Yeah, uh, I think that was actually a minor oversight on my part. So one of the things that we do, again, that philosophy of open openness and transparency is we, we like to give all of the source code for our products away. So if you were to go in there, you should have the ability to download the source code for all of these agents. And I, I think I just forgot to add that. So that's something I'm going to be going back and adding uh, sometime this week so that our customers have the ability to download the source code again. Yeah, I mean, super simple, like changes like that, like, it, like we can do super quickly. And that's one of the cool things about doing things as like plugins and and things like that as well. So it makes it super easy to get new changes out. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good segue into kind of a behind the scenes change that we made. So prior to 1.2, we actually had um, what we called Gatekeeper, which is our backend infrastructure. And Gatekeeper was essentially the portal, quote unquote, the Gatekeeper, to all of the content that would be provided to operator. Uh, and what we've done with 1.2 is we've actually broken Gatekeeper itself is now legacy, and we've broken it out into more of a microservice architecture. So we have what we call now headquarters and outposts. So you have a bunch of outposts that feed data into headquarters, and then the operators can connect to headquarters to see what is available to them and get the latest information. So anybody with a DoD background might find that uh, poignant and interesting for how you would do a red team operation. But uh, one of the one of the things that allows us to do is transition the outpost infrastructure into organizations. So now an organization could stand up their their own outpost, for example, and connect that into headquarters. And then they would have their own data repository that only people connected to their organization and connected to their overall team would get that content. So for example, if I had a team of five people uh, and I wanted to stand up an enterprise team and we'd all share our data, share across all of our operator instances, we could stand up our own outpost and that would then feed our own training, our own TTPs, our own payloads into headquarters down to our team members. So that's one that's behind the scenes that you probably wouldn't even know existed, but it's one that we're trying to set ourselves up for the ability to empower teams to do creative things with the operator ecosystem. Yeah, basically making it easier for enterprise customers to be able to do that much more simpler than what they could right now. Definitely. And if you're curious, you can actually curl the outposts. Uh, we have a ping endpoint, and if you curl them, it'll show you how many TTPs are loaded, how many payloads are loaded, how many training programs are loaded. Um, yeah, there's one other piece of data I'm forgetting. But uh, it, like I said, you would only know if you poked around our infrastructure and you started digging a little deeper into it. But that's a that's a cool feature that we have. It's just something we throw out there so that people can see what what would I get if I were to, uh, like for example, upgrade to a pro license. You can just curl our ping endpoint and you'll see exactly what you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I think that kind of a good segue too to like some of the UX changes that we've made uh, that I think make things a little bit more simple. Um, like the editor, for instance. Um, you can go in there to the editor. Uh, you can see all the TTPs that are available. You can download all of our payloads. Um, on the like right-hand sidebar, uh, we've made it so much easier to make just TTPs. So if it's so easy now to be able to even uh, contribute back as a community member to be able to make your own TTPs, um, we basically give you the script to do it. <laughs> you just have to put in what you want to do, right? Um, and then you can ex uh, you can export that TTP, put it up in GitHub, and now you're contributing back to the community. Um, and we have this great, like, much more forward-facing layout for uh, writing within the editor uh, that makes it so much nicer than what was in 1.1. Um, so I, I think... Uh, that's just a, a a welcome change from the editor side, um, uh, and then we've made some UX changes also too to like 
the the operate window where um, we've made it so much easier to be able to, to see which TTPs are running, uh, what adversaries that you're running, what your adversaries are doing, the edit function so you can now edit within there for your adversary. Um, lots of UX easy changes. And I think some of those changes have sort of like risen because of some of the uh, ways we've done like active windowing. So like if you're going in, you're clicking on something, uh, sometimes it can be difficult to see what's active, but now we've made that so much simpler within the UI changes. Yeah. One of the, that's a, one of the areas that I always had heartburn with was in the operate pane, there were basically two different views. And if you were on like the deploy an adversary view, you would have a different top bar. It would show you the adversaries. And then if you clicked on an agent, it would give you an entirely different view with an entirely different top bar. And one of the things 1.2 does is tries to minimize the number of clicks that you have to make in order to actually be effective and do your job. Again, back to accessibility. So that's all consolidated now into one clean pane and everything is much, much more direct and upfront in, in terms of where it lies in the UI. And that again, empowers your u user experience. Well, we hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, even going, uh, like contributing back, uh, from a community standpoint, we've also not necessarily a 1.2 update, but, uh, we've, sort of made it much more easier with how we've done buckets. So now we have like a community section within GitHub uh, that make it easier for people to be able to contribute. Um, and I think that's a huge welcome change. Um, that's wasn't necessarily a 1.2 thing, but just happened recently with our 1.2 update. Yeah, uh, I for one love that update. Uh, just to again, kind of pull the curtain back a little bit so the reason the name bucket exists is prior to this infrastructure design, everything was getting synced to an S3 bucket. So we were offloading a lot of like the infrastructure and you know using pre-signed URLs for for serving content. Uh, and the downside of that was we didn't have like a very good update process for making changes, getting those changes deployed into production, and making it seamless for users. We, we probably could have worked around AWS and made it a very elegant experience with just AWS tool suites because AWS is incredibly well featured. But one of the things that we consider when we're engineering stuff is we don't want to be pinned to a certain cloud provider. We don't want to be stuck only using AWS in the event we want to deploy our, our software somewhere else or deploy our infrastructure somewhere else. So this change now allows us to basically have a pipeline of commits going directly into our our quote-unquote bucket repository community repository and then those just automatically will get deployed via our deployment pipeline all the way out to production so much easier and way less of a pain for me in particular <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's one of the things that uh you'll notice within if you were um a uh, if you were in the 1.1 1 .1, uh, operator like editor section, you would see like pro uh, for pro features, which we don't necessarily highlight anymore, uh, but they're but they are in there. So if you are in that repo, you'll just get that. Um, so we don't make that designation anymore. Yeah, 
Uh, that's actually a pretty good segue now that we're kind of talking about repositories and and the types of stuff deployed on it. So you're actually right now kind of at the beginning of a very epic storyline. Uh, why don't you yeah. kind of talk about that a little bit? I find it fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, um, I, I really... So, so we, we we have adversary chains, and so adversary uh, so a chain uh, is just a, a multiple TTP files, um, and then an adversary is sort of taking chains and then having chains within chains like chainception, right? So, <laughs> uh, so like basically, I wanted to do something where uh, we could create a whole adversary uh, within a chain, and so. Um, I started to think of ideas and came up with this uh, thing that I was working on, um, which was an adversarial AI attack. So doing weight manipulation. And so I wanted to do an episodic content story behind this. And so I chose uh, Bigger, which is this robot from the Matrix. And uh, he... Uh, he kills his uh, master because he thought he was going to uh, he was going to deactivate him. So uh, they never told the initial story of how that was. They only told the story of bigger and the 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 legal aspects of this, and then how it turned into basically uh, the Matrix. Because bigger basically said that he you know he was going to be deactivated, and so. Um, the, the court system basically said that, well, you know, um, you, you killed your master, we're going to deactivate you. And then there was a huge like uproar that ended up turning into this huge long war, which then turns into the matrix. Right. So, um, basically want to tell this story of doing an adversarial AI attack. So weight manipulation that would then basically change bigger's perceptions um and without kind of giving away the story um changing the perceptions so that bigger thinks that he's going to be deactivated right so we'll go through this whole chain where we'll do multiple different steps and eventually we'll get to this weight manipulation and adversarial ai attack so right now i've release the um, uh, the initial access portion. So basically how we're gonna get onto uh, Bigger itself. Um, so uh, this is a real world attack, right? So like for initial access, um, we're taking SciPy, which is a, it's a really popular MLDL uh, uh, Python uh, pa package. And we're putting uh, our schism agent hidden within SciPy. And then once you install SciPy, it calls our schism agent uh, and then runs in the, in the background without user knowledge. So once we have that, then we can do what was the original uh, first uh, uh, chain that I released, which was bigger discovery. So then taking bigger discovery and then discovering, okay, what things are on this system that we know that this person installed SciPy, right? So like if you install SciPy, pretty much one of the only reasons you install that is if you're doing ML and DL type stuff. So, okay, now that we have 
Uh, we know that this person installed SciPy. What other MLDL um, applications, packages, uh, do they run PyTorch? Do they run uh, TorchVision? Are they doing stuff with uh, TensorFlow? What NVIDIA GPUs are they using? Um, and basically trying to get the system architecture and then we'll go from there. So uh, right now we're at that point. Um, and then I think we'll be releasing some Docker here, uh, Togger stuff here soon, so. That's so cool. But as, as much as you're making this a story, there are some pretty real world implications associated with adversarial AI. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things in working at the National Lab was that we did a lot of stuff in this uh, arena uh, and just doing just machine learning, deep learning application type stuff. DARPA is really involved in trying to make sure that uh, when we're doing training, that we have, we can do training with less data, right? So um, we sort of have the opposite problem to, to, you know, say China, for instance, where China has as much data as they want. Um, and so they have almost too much data. Um, so... Uh, their their problem is time, uh, time and in, in training their their um, their training sets and their data sets, where we don't really have the data, um, so we need to be able to train faster and then also train uh, with less data. So we need to be just as accurate uh, with almost one fourth uh, of the data. So it becomes a real big. Um, uh, sort of um, problem where uh, if someone was to get into uh, say our uh, some of our, our big laboratories for instance who may not be paying attention to things like SciPy where it has an agent installed on it <laughs> um, that becomes a, a, a really big deal oh yeah for sure yeah so um, I think this will be a really cool chain um, Certainly uh, welcome to anybody's feedback on it um, and uh, hope that um, as we go forward, uh, people will uh, be able to see it um, in action. And um, I'm trying to make it easier as well for people. It's funny enough, it's like when we do a, um, anytime you try to set up an environment for stuff like for ML and DL, it, all be, it always becomes a pain, right? Like. <laughs> there's it, it's it's academic uh style packages that have that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't uh it requires some of the weirdest packages um and uh i i find it kind of funny but i i like i i want to give people a docker container so that they can actually put it where they want to and then um they they can try the attacks for themselves and make it much easier um, I find that funny because that's essentially uh, some of the problems with this, right? Like, uh, it's so difficult to do and scientists just don't want to do it. And IT people don't necessarily understand it. So it ends up being this thing where a scientist or engineer that's doing the work ends up doing this. <laughs> and they try to take the easiest approach possible because their training takes hours, right? So like SciPy takes two hours to install on an NVIDIA Jetson. And that's just like, it's going to take you two hours to do that. Then you got your inference training. That's going to take hours to do. 
And so by the time you're done, like that's a week later. <laughs> and, and so they tried to set up the, this, these install packages as quickly as possible. And they're not necessarily thinking about the implica uh, implications of that. Um, so uh, I think this has some, definitely some real world aspect to it. Certainly. There's probably a joke in there as well about the only thing worse than having data scientists build software is having security engineers build software. <laughs> but I digress. Very true. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, software, so that's uh, kind of a natural segue into uh, another chain that we recently released and one I'm actually working on this week for next week's TTP Tuesday. Um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and not familiar with our ecosystem, uh, every Tuesday we do what we call TTP Tuesday. And basically that's when we drop the latest chain and that gets directly put into everybody's operator instance for all of our professional license holders. So I'm actually working on extending out that, uh, what I'd mentioned earlier, the JavaScript for automation agent. So if you take a look uh, inside of operator and your pro license holder, you will see an agent called Hush. So <laughs> another thing to know about us, we name all of our agents after tool songs. So Hush is the shortest tool song, which is where I got that name from. So Hush is actually the smallest agent that we have available. Hush in and of itself is actually just a completely modular script. So if you were to take a look at the source code, you'll see there's no actual like C2 channels built into it. There are no attacks built into it. There's literally nothing built into it. The only thing that it has is the ability to make dynamic requests, HTTP requests for JavaScript files. Then it will load those JavaScript files into it and call whatever module it just loaded in. Using that design pattern, uh, what I did is I'd allowed you to basically have that script run on an endpoint, point it at an HTTP server, and then it will just kind of dynamically load in things as it's tasked from operator. So what that lets us do now is one of the one of the things that we were trying to empower our users with is the ability to do non-shell command-based TTPs. Now you can kind of implicitly load in capability to an agent and run a TTP and you don't really have to worry about what's happening in the background. You just kind of like expect that module to be dynamically loaded into the agent. And now we're further extracting the complexity away from agent design and just letting you write TTPs in and of themselves. So this week I'm gonna be adding in additional TTPs to that modular agent that already exists. Right now it has the ability to um, dynamically load in a C2 channel, dynamically load in like a payload request module. It can then load in a like directory listing type thing. It can load in a module to take screenshots of the system. And then it'll actually stage those screenshots in a directory that you can later exfiltrate. This week, as I said, I'm gonna add in some new modules. I'm not gonna reveal what those modules are now, but uh, the reason I bring it up is as we are increasing the capability of operator, we're always trying to find new and interesting ways to implement TTPs inside our system. And the system is designed around three kind of core areas. So you have the C2 platform, you have the agents, and then you have the attacks. And 
what we call attacks are TTPs are generally, if you're familiar with C2 frameworks, they're generally capabilities that are just built into agents. Um, and a lot of people would just say an agent has, you know, 20 different TTPs. If you're looking at Cobalt Strike, for example, the beacon implant, it has like execute assembly and BOF and all these other quote unquote executors to run TTPs. So what we do in operators, we actually create a separation between those two things. So there's the agent and there's the attack. So a lot of the agents that we have are very lightweight wrappers that just have a way for you to load in some kind of execution mechanism to run a TTP. Yeah, like modular malware is such, such a big step um, in the advanced security step, right? So like bringing advanced security down to everyone, modular malware is not something that we necessarily see in open source C2 frameworks um, for their agents. Um, so having something modular um, makes it to where you can start off very small, right? Like if you want to, uh, something on the box, just like, like Alex was saying, Hush is like our smallest agent. Right. So like you start on something that's super small and then you, you graduate from there. Uh, so then that way you're not necessarily giving away, uh, all the capabilities that you, that you have, uh, to your disposal. We do actually have one other agent that uses modules, but those modules aren't in memory. Um, Hush is an entirely in-memory agent. So we have NUMA, which is our open source agent. We also have one called NUMA EX. And uh, I'm not sure if you've actually gotten a chance to look at the source code on NUMA EX, but I used this project, this awesome project that I found from HashiCorp, no less. Um, Golang doesn't have the best uh, support for like modules built into the Go ecosystem itself. And HashiCorp basically went and wrote this thing called Go plugin. And that lets them use uh, RPC and gRPC to create um, basically standalone processes and then communicate with main process to standalone process. So I'm able to like spawn a process and then use RPC or gRPC to dynamically call a function in that process. And I can pass basically any arbitrary arguments over there. So it gives us two different ways for us to approach that modular malware. One in memory, dynamically loading modules. The other is basically pulling down fat binaries, spinning up those binaries. Uh, and it'd be more akin to what you would see with like what HashiCorp's products and services offer because I'm using the same kind <laughs> yeah. of infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like, uh, yeah, I haven't necessarily used uh, NUMA extended, um, uh, as much, at least not yet. <laughs> well, we have so. to go back and eventually make those in-memory loadable modules. There's some really awesome projects out there by, uh, if you're familiar with Binject, there's the Binject team and they, they're just like at the tip of the spear when it comes to designing Go capability. They have one that's, I think, called Universal Loader that lets you build SOS uh, DLLs and Dilibs. And in pure Go, you can load those modules into Go and you don't have to touch disk. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I awesome. I think they went so far <laughs> as to, I think they even like forked part of the core Go library, like the core Go project itself. They found a the debug. Yeah, I think it's like, 
the debug component of Core Go, they forked into a standalone project and they made it so that they could have like file descriptors to in memory DLLs and SOs and dive libs. Like they went they went above and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like we got we gotta add that to our uh our our ever growing list of things to yeah. do. <laughs> Big list. Speaking of ever growing think list of things to do, uh I guess obviously we now have a podcast and we're gonna continue to do that. But one of the things that we're trying to do at Prelude is uh, push a lot more of what we are doing out into the open, as I had said earlier, because we do have a lot going on and we have some pretty freaking incredible engineers on our team pushing stuff out at just a ridiculous pace. And a lot of that doesn't get highlighted, which is unfortunate because it's freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, like we're just writing stuff so quickly that we don't have time to actually just talk about, Hey, we did this cool thing. <laughs> well, that's, that's yeah, it... going to change. So what we're going to be doing now is we have kind of have been, I would say ad hocking blogs and pushing out content kind of here and there. We're trying to get onto a more regimented schedule. So we're going to be pushing out blog posts every Monday now associated with uh, either the chain of the week or uh, some kind of engineering effort that's going on. We're also going to be continuing our TTP Tuesday releases. And if you haven't already, check out chains.prelude.org. And that's where you can see all of the chains that we've released. Um, and we also pull in kind of all the metadata associated with it. So you can see the payloads, the discrete attack components, and even an awesome graphic that shows you the uh, what the chain looks like as it executes. I think we're yeah, the graphic is so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. I, I definitely did not write that. <laughs> if it looks cool, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, two other things. So one being the podcast. And then one thing that uh, Chris and I are going to try and do here coming up is actually do a Twitch stream. And we don't have a firm date on that yet. But what we want to do is actually just kind of build stuff on Twitch stream. We figured it'd be interesting for maybe some people to see us designing stuff, building stuff, how we work through some of our problem sets, uh, writing agents, writing attacks, writing kill chains, writing, frankly, code for our core product. Because um, again, it's an Electron. If you want to reverse engineer it, there's a ASAR unpacker online that takes two, <laughs> two shell commands and you can <laughs> see all of our source code. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll push that out onto our uh, Twitter account, um, basically saying, hey, you know, probably give you like a day, maybe two days notice, uh, and then just say, hey, we're, we're streaming at this point. So um, we'll, uh, we'll make sure the community knows a couple days in advance before we do a Twitch stream. Yeah, and then, and then for the podcast, like, so um, I think at the current moment with so much stuff that we're doing we're i think we're looking to do like monthly podcasts um and then uh we'll 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 reevaluate when uh we we have more people on board and we can uh we can do more stuff so um so yeah like um well also uh, we on no... that segue shameless plug for us uh we are hiring if you're interested in either software engineering roles, security engineering roles, um, customer-focused security engineering, 
basically runs the gamut. If uh, if you're looking for work, shoot either Chris or myself or uh, David Hunt at Private Ducky on Twitter. Just shoot us a message, and uh, we'll get back to you. Yeah, um, uh, and even uh, I think we should probably talk about our Discord as well. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We we do have a Discord, um, and uh, we're we're always on the Discord as well. So uh, that's probably the best way um, to get constant communication from us. Like, um, so we're always. I mean, we're on Twitter as well, uh, but um, you can get uh, a uh, easier easier way to communicate with us through uh, our uh, our Discord channel, which you can get on Prelude. You can get to through Prelude.org. We should probably also include um, uh, links to all this stuff in the description of this podcast. But Yeah, yeah. So we'll definitely put that in there. Um, so yeah, if you go into the description, you'll, you'll get um, our Discord channel, Prelude.org, where you can find us, uh, our, our Twitter handles. Um, yeah, and Chains. We'll put chains in there as well. <laughs> so awesome. Um, so I think that's, I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover today. So, well, is there anything that you can else think of? Not, not, not offhand. This, this is obviously our first podcast. So we're going to continually morph and adapt this over time as we get feedback. And as, as we kind of figure out the structure for this right now, we're just kind of, we're just going to shoot for talking about areas of, product that we've built that we find interesting and and kind of the thought processes and philosophies behind why we are building what we're building and we'll go from there yeah i think we're gonna try to keep this podcast as ad hoc as possible so this concludes the first prelude podcast we'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to us this podcast will aim to be around 30 to 45 minutes and will come out on a monthly basis Overture will be distributed on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you like what you're hearing so far, please give us a subscribe. If you want to get in contact with us, please reach out on either Twitter, Discord, or our website at prelude.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next month. Prelude, signing out. <laughs>